In your uh, pews, along with that other announcement, there's another half sheet. And it looks like this, and I think it's on the screen too. It looks like this, it's got little, nice little icons. It's at the end of the pews. If you wanna grab it, you should grab it. Um, on it, you can see uh, some, some of the various ministry teams that keep our church running. And it shows a number of volunteers who are, you know, needed or ideally we would have. These are some ideal numbers, so we can operate with less. But no, number of volunteers that we need to keep things going. The solid figures, the little pictures that are colored in, are the current volunteers or staff involved in those ministry areas. And then the empty slots are the number of people that we wish we had in order to grow those ministry areas. So you can kind of visually, I wanna give you like a tool to kind of visualize where we're at. And I'm gonna talk about this in a bit, but I, but, but, but I wanna start by just looking at and chatting about those filled slots, the, the, the colored in little icons. Just with these ministry teams, and this doesn't include all the ministry teams in our church. We have here, just on this little half sheet, um, 50 volunteers and leaders who make it possible for us to be the church. And uh, considering the size of our congregation, guys, that is huge, you know. Um, and that doesn't even include all the ministry areas, like our leadership board or administrative work or volunteers for special events or community outreach. I mean, all of this is possible. We are a church, everything we do, because people like you said, count me in. I can't do everything, but I can do something. Let me play a part. Let me have a part. So everything we do... I mean, everything is done by people who do what they can with the time that they have and the gifts they have to offer. So before I say anything else, I just want to say to you all, thank you. I'm, it, it means the world. You know, people, like I said, coming out of COVID and the experience we've had as a church, I mean... If there weren't so many committed people to the work that we do, we would, I, we would not be here. I would not be here. It just wouldn't, but there's so many of you in this room and, and, and quite a few online, I saw you chatting, so thank you, thank you. But, uh, and others who couldn't be here today who said, count me in. The second thing I wanna say, and, and this goes without saying, but it, the new things that we hope to do, um, the new ideas and the new vision and the new ministry in this new season is going to be possible because new people become a part of our church or people here who are not serving raise their hands and they say, count me in, I'll do what I can with the time that I have and the gifts that I have to offer. It's going to be because people choosing to serve is what makes church possible. And that's what I talk about that. Have you ever felt... Um, like uh, part of the part you play in life, you know, or on a team or at work, maybe isn't that important. Have you ever felt this way? That like you're on a team or you're a part of a family or a part of a group of some sort and you're like, I don't know if my role here is very important. And I know, I know there are some people here who think that's ridiculous. You know, there are some people who think everything I do is significant. The work I do at home, at church, at work, in life, it's the most important thing, and it's the most important work that anyone can do. I know how big of a deal I am, all right? So if that's you, raise your hand. Um, yeah. 
And I guess he's great, confident. I'm, I'm fine with that. Uh, that's not a bad thing. But the rest of us wish you had a hard time uh, because we wish we were that confident. <laughs> um, because for the rest of us, uh, we're not always sure that we're doing something significant. You know, we're not always convinced that the small part we play in this world is making a big difference. If, if I was gone, would anyone notice? If I stopped doing what I'm doing, how hard would it be to replace me? I mean, really, how hard? For me, I've um, I lived on both sides of that spectrum. There are times that I feel like my work is very significant, and I feel a lot of purpose in it. And there are other times where I'm not sure whether what I'm doing could just as easily be replaced by someone else. And I'm going to wager this morning that uh, you've lived on both sides of that spectrum as well. When I was young, uh, back in high school, this is getting further and further away from me. My brother and I and a few friends hung out at a, at a local youth center. It's where I got involved in ministry for the first time. And uh, the truth is, we, we ran the youth center. I don't know who decided high schoolers could run a youth center, but we did, and it was very interesting. Um, but as people running it and really starting it from scratch, I remember we installed this stage area to hold, you know, small shows at this little youth center. And then we got a sound system donated and then a drum set. And then, then a few people started playing around after youth group was closed. And then my brother uh, started writing songs. He's never written songs since, but it, for some reason in high school, he decided to write songs. And uh, the next thing you know, we had a band. Anyone, anyone else was in a high school band? Like, not high school band, but like a band when you were high schoolers. You know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like a rock band. Um, uh, we almost had a band anyways. We were missing one thing. And uh, uh, we didn't have a bass player. And uh, being the kind of person I was, I said, okay, count me in. I can do what I need to, you know, to fill in. And I bought this little $100 cheap rogue bass guitar. They still sell them. They're $150 now, so inflation, everybody. You really missed your opportunity to get it cheap 20 years ago. Uh, but I took a total of two lessons on bass. Um, and before you knew it, we had a band. Um, or as Audio Adrenaline used to sing, we're in a band, we're in a band, you can Google it later. This is the age in which we were playing, sorry. Um, and we not only had a band, but we were playing like original songs, you know, um, and I have copies of them, okay? We, 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 we recorded. And uh, so after two lessons, I was the bass player in this band, and we recorded this little album, my friend's four-track recorder, and we got band photos. Would you like to see them? Of course you do. Here's our band photos. <laughs> That is about as classic as you get. And yes, that is me with hair. Fairly long hair, um, almost curly, it turns out. Uh, hard to imagine. Let's zoom in a little bit. I was way too cool to smile, you know, because it's a band photo. We were a rock band. We were in a band. I loved playing bass. I still play it on, a, on occasion when I get a chance. But I, I, I was thinking about this. Uh, when I was playing bass, it was just for fun. I, being in a band was fun. And, and I did it because I thought it was fun. Not because, and, and I know we've got some bass players in our church. There's actually one, a couple of very talented bass players. But I didn't think bass playing was um, essential. 
don't hate me. I was a bass player, but I didn't think it was essential. I was in high school, by the way. I didn't understand music theory. I didn't think it was essential. Um, and I think maybe that's because I learned it relatively quickly. You can get the basics of bass pretty quickly. Um, you can be a good bass player with a lot of practice. Um, but it's more subtle. It's often in the background, something that you know people who aren't into music might not even always know is there. And, and because of all of this, uh, I, 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 I just didn't think it was essential. And, it, and maybe it was because it wasn't drums, because I love drums. If I could play any instrument, I'd learn to play drums. I know. And I hope to someday when I have margin in my life, which probably means when my son isn't six. Whatever it was, I felt like I was not an important member of the band. And so I worked hard to make up for that. And much later, the band was long gone. And I'd gone off to college, and I graduated, and I kind of started my life. And then I went to a little bar show in a grungy bar in Cleveland with my, with my friends. Uh, and we got to see one of my childhood favorite bands, Me Without You, which I also posted about this week. And I was standing there with my brother and some friends, and the band came out, and they shared some bad news. A, a father figure of their bass player had passed away earlier that day, and he left to go be with his family. The bass player left to go be with that family. And as such, they couldn't play their normal set because their drummer wasn't going to play without the rest of the rhythm section, without the bass player. Now, I was a bass player, and you'd think I'd know this already, but I didn't. So instead of playing a full set, they just kind of played some acoustic songs for the band. And it was fun, and it was different, I loved it, but it was in that moment that I realized that the bass player might not be as dispensable as after all. That the drummer wouldn't play without it, that the bass was essential. Have you ever come to a place where you had a similar re revelation? Where you realize that your presence in the community, the role that you play, the part that you have in the band, so to speak, is actually important. That you and what you do matters. The truth is, is we tend to look at roles in our lives at work and certainly at church, and we see some as essential and some is dispensable, right? We even have a word for it in the midst of COVID, essential workers. That the, was that the term? Yeah, yeah. We see some as desirable, and we see some as less so. I, I recently had a conversation. We've been encouraging people to fill out a spiritual gifts inventory, and someone sent in their results, and they said, I figured it'd be mostly like, you know, not very showy gifts, mostly stuff that happens in the background that people don't notice. And they got their results, and that's what they figured it would be something that people don't notice, stuff that happens in the background. But something the realize is that it's something we all need, gifts that happen in the background. And this is what I've learned in my, as I get older and grow up, that the gifts that don't get noticed are no less imperfect. In fact, what is often the case, they are more imperfect. So Paul, in his letter to the church in Corinth, talked about this very thing. The church had given some roles in the church, special privileges, which we all do. So this has been going on for a while. People looked down on some roles and looked up at others. And uh, so Paul compares their roles as, a, as parts of the body. He says some people are, are the feet and some are the eyes, and we need both. And they don't do the same thing, but we need both. 
We need our feet for walking, our eyes for seeing, and one is not like the other. So 1 Corinthians 12 says it like this. You've got to remember that we just looked at last week the story of Paul becoming a Christian in the book of Acts as we kind of work through some of the Acts, and today we're looking at one of Paul's letters. So he ends up writing a letter to a church that he founded after he became a Christian, and it's filled with wonderful things. 1 Corinthians 13, I'm sure you've heard it at a wedding. It's beautiful. But 1 Corinthians 12 is one of the most beautiful pictures of what it means to embrace diversity by being inclusive of everyone's gifts. He says it like this, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. Here's what I think he's saying. In the American church, I'm, I'm talking about the American church. The church expresses itself in a lot of different ways throughout the world. But in the American church, uh, as a result of the Protestant revolution, you know, all of this sort of stuff, the most significant role in the church is usually what happens up front. Me and Dan. <laughs> the, the entire American church is built with what happens on the stage, you know? Entire church plant models are built on having a good preacher, someone who you can videotape and eventually sell books, and that you can, you know, get a lot of views on your podcast. And preachers do. They have podcasts and TV shows. And then you got to have a good worship leader, you know, and someone who's going to put out worship albums. So if you could get on that, Dan, get our name on the map. And the preacher is almost always the senior pastor. Have you thought about that? The preacher is almost always the senior pastor, which means the preaching is synonymous with the top leadership. That's the American church. Uh, City View Church is, is like that in a lot of ways, even though we at times try to push against it. What this means is that in a lot of places is that every other ministry in the church is designed to promote what's up front. The music and the preaching. So you, churches have children's ministry so parents can listen to the sermon without being distracted. Yeah, so in fact, we've gone to churches where they don't allow children in the worship service. And that's maybe a strong statement, but you know, Lissa had a very negative experience when Finn was an infant, and uh, he wasn't even making noise, but he just was a baby, and he was in the church service, and their focus is so much not to have any distractions so you don't miss what the pastor says, that three different people came up to her to encourage her to go to the cry room where she could watch it on a screen. And she said... F that. Um, she just left, and uh, I found out later that she walked down and went to another church where all the kids were running around in the service because she's like, I'm not going to sit in a room and watch it on a TV. If you're not met Alyssa, you've now met her. Um, she's great. And, you know, but you have it's all built around, like, making sure, you know, and, and greeters greet people so that they're more receptive to what is set up front. And coffee, keep, make sure that you can stay awake during sometimes boring sermons. And you think I'm joking, but this is actually how churches sometimes operate. And when this happens, a subtle message is presented that this role is more important than your role. I'm the lead singer, and you're the bass player. Paul to the Corinthians is saying, this might be how the world works, because it often is, but this is not how the church should work. He, he says we need to flip 
the script. That those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the parts that we think are less honorable we treat with special honor. In the church, that parts that tend not to get as much honor because we live in a world that doesn't give them honor, the church should make up for it by giving them more honor. That's what he's saying here. That we should value people differently than the world. We should value roles in our organization and in our community differently than the world. And we have to do it by counteracting it. You can't say all roles are equal. Not to get too political here. Because that's ignoring the fact that not all roles are equal. Some roles do get special privileges. And to overcome that, you have to give privileges to other roles that don't. So this can apply to a lot of issues in justice. In other words, in the church... It shouldn't be built up to prop me up or the band or the worship leader. And Dan will say amen. He doesn't want that, I know. Not the, Sorry, Dan. You're not even in my notes, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> He's like, leave me alone. We don't greet people, which we, we actually don't. But when we have greeters and we've built our greeter team for our grand opening, which is on the list of things to do, okay? We're not going to greet people because, you know, we want them to respond better to the sermon. We're going to greet people because it's just a good thing to do. Because greeting people is indispensable by itself. It's a beautiful in its own right. It's a good thing to do. It doesn't have to have some sneaky goal. We honestly just want people to feel welcome. Same with children's ministry. We don't do nursery so parents are less distracted. Um, although that is a nice side effect for some parents. Like, I'm appreciate having children's ministry for Fenn. But we have nursery, we have children's ministry because it's a good thing in its own. It's good to have, to to hold babies and it's good to, and a healthy thing to raise our children in community, to have our kids engage with loving and caring adults who aren't their parents. It's a good thing to do regardless. The same with coffee. We don't brew coffee so that people are less likely to fall asleep during the sermon, although that might be a side effect. We brew coffee because like, Coffee's good, like in its own right. Or tea, if that's your thing. It's something good and beautiful, and offering that kind of hospitality is good and beautiful. But every single role we have in this church is significant in its own right. And sure, they all come together to build what we're doing here, but they're also just good. They're good things for us to do for one another, and every role has a purpose. And when we all come together and offer what we can, when we can, so that's, that's how community is born. That's what makes community possible. Serving helps us do what we do as a church. But serving in and of itself isn't just a means to an end. Serving itself is a good thing. So you're not just helping us accomplish some other goal. Serving, actually giving of your time, is in and of itself just a good thing to do. So I invite you to serve somewhere in the church or in the world because it's good and it's good for you. Your life becomes more full with more purpose when we when we serve. So I was once I was preaching on the need for volunteers once or servants, however you want to refer to it, much like today, and I, I shared this uh, similar to what I've done, you know, kind of talking about the last couple of weeks and we uh, so we show a lot of charts in this church, and yeah, you're, and we want you to be excited about it more so than what the chart warrants. So I'm going to show a chart. It's actually a diagram, but they're cousins, okay? So excited? I got like two people are excited. I'm not going to show you the chart unless you want to see it. Yay! All right, let's put it up. 
Uh, someone, someone upset a baby. We're so excited about these diagrams. It's all right. <laughs> all right. We were talking about your sweet spot is where your gifts and your calling and, and an opportunity line up. And uh, I was, as I was explaining this, this similar type of diagram, um, uh, I, I, I said, you know, sometimes God calls us to do things that we don't want to do. We talked about this last week. And sometimes there just are things that need to be done that maybe God is, like, isn't specific, like it's not your calling and it's not your gift, but it just has to be done, right? So I was giving an example of this, and I was explaining to this church. It was the church uh, we served in, uh, served in Athens, and I said, you know, Hopefully, you spend 80% of your time doing something that's meaningful, but the other 20%, you're just doing what has to be done, all right? That's life, and the reality is, as a parent, I feel like it's 80% doing what has to be done and 20% doing something that's meaningful, but that's neither here nor there. So I explained to them that there might not, for example, there might not be anyone in our church with the spiritual gift of cleaning toilets. In fact, it's not even listed on the list of spiritual gifts. Paul doesn't even mention it in the Bible that I know of, although that's an interesting question I'll have to ponder. Um, and I thought that was a pretty good, you know, but we still want our toilets clean, right? Yeah, we got to, don't say you're not sure. We want our, to- yeah, we do. And you, no one's going to be called to that. And then I was giving this illustration. And, and what's funny is after the service, this guy came up to me. And he said, you know, actually, uh, Pastor Joe or Joe or whatever he called me, um, he's like, I, uh, he had been attending church for a while now, and he, he's, he, he signed up. He's, he's served on the building team. And it turns out, and I, didn't, I don't think I was aware of this, it turns out that he, every week, would go into one of our buildings, uh, it was called Central Venue, and he would mop all the floors and clean all the bathrooms as a volunteer. He was a professional therapist, and he loved being a therapist, but it's so much stuff up here. He just liked being able to turn off his brain. He said, I would put on Frank Sinatra on the sound system, and I would just clean the venue. And he was, you know, he loved it. And he said to me, Joe, I have the spiritual gift of cleaning toilets. And I was just like, I stand corrected. He found it so meaningful. And you know what? It actually challenged me because I used to clean toilets um, in a freshman dorm, of all places, in college. Yeah. And you know what? Not a great job. Very meaningful. Immediate results. You know? And, and, and this, is, this is what really challenged me. Uh, he had the gift of cleaning toilets. And after that experience, I've come to realize something that's often hard to believe, something that's tricky to believe when we're a small church trying to figure out how to do this and what it means to relaunch and reintroduce ourselves. But it's something that I've seen to be true over and over again. We already have what we need to do what we're called to do with you here. We have what we need to do what God has called us to do, and if we don't, we will when we need it. God has already brought the right people for where we are right now, and God will bring the right people for where we're going to be every time, including those with spiritual gifts of cleaning toilets washing feet, holding babies, hopefully not right after each other. So I wonder if you're here today, even if it's just for the first time, second time, third time, and you're wondering if there might be a place for you, I believe there is. I don't think you're here by accident. I think you might be the very person we need. I don't know what that is yet. 
It might be for a specific role that not only needs to be done, but will give you a sense of purpose, that there's a role here today, and maybe it's a role you haven't tried yet, that you could experiment with and give a shot to let go of fear and the stigma that we place on certain roles so that we could, you know, and then create margin in our life so we can serve, so we could take that leap of faith and get involved and do something meaningful to give back and to serve our God in a way that God has called us. I, I, I actually do enjoy preaching, um, but it's not the most significant way I serve. For me, um, the most significant way I serve is when I get outside my comfort zone, and preaching is actually kind of a comfort zone for me. I've been doing it a while, and sometimes I even kind of get away with being a little too comfortable and winging it. Sorry, everyone. But when I get outside my comfort zone and I stretch myself and I try something new, you know, I talk about how I don't have the gift of spiritual gift of empathy. So when I'm forced to stretch that, oh, it's very meaningful. And I visit somebody in the hospital and I pray for them. Or, or when I'm having a difficult conversation with somebody and I'm, I'm not a very good listener, but I'm working on it. I'm stretching myself to be a good listener. Oh, it's, those, are the very, those are the most meaningful experiences I have in ministry. When it's, you know, manual labor and it's a 100-degree temperature uh, and you're working in a cross-cultural environment, all of these things are very stretching for me, and I enjoy it. And it becomes meaningful, even though sometimes I don't enjoy it. It's willing, when I'm willing to step out of my comfort zone and try something, and that's what I'd like to challenge you today. So I, I encourage you to take this handout and um, think about it. These are some of the areas where we need or where we would like to have servants. Um, if you look on the back, we've got two people right now who are ready to greet, and it's, it's the ministry area we've not relaunched since COVID. We, obviously, we stopped doing it in COVID. So, you know, we need greeters at both services. We've got two services that need greeters. So if you're willing to come a little early, you're perfect for it. It's, you know, and if you're able to fake a smile or do one sincerely, Either. I'll take either. You know, it's great. Um, City Friends. That's the name for uh, the friendship class and the ministry with adults with disabilities. We have a few people who are volunteers with that, but we're hoping to host some big events. And so this is really great for this service because uh, the class happens during the 930. um, So not easy for this service to be involved in the class. But when we host a dance or a fall festival, I mean, what a great opportunity to show up and to offer some help to help somebody with a craft or, or whatever. It's, I encourage you to think about that. City Kids. We have phenomenal City Kids volunteers. Molly does a, f- a phenomenal job. We have more City Kids volunteers than any other ministry, and we obviously always need more. Um, and media team, we need people for the 11 o'clock. Small group leaders. We have a small group leaders training coming up. Worship team. We've got some great musicians. Always love to have more. And the building team, we now, with St. Luke's, have become City View Church. So we are no longer renters. So you all now share the burden of caring for this property with everyone else. So we are hoping, and promise you, legacy St. Luke's people are hoping that there'll be some people from a 930 service who will say, hey, you know what, when you need it, I'll show up and I'll organize a space or, you know, fix something or do some landscaping, because we've got a whole building to take care of. So there is no action step with this other than for you to think about it. I want you to ask, if you're not already serving, would you consider filling one of these roles? And if not, um, if you're serving already or if you just don't have the capacity, that's fine. There's no judgment here. What I would ask you to do is use this half sheet as a prayer guide. 
You know, Jesus once looked out at a field and he was talking to his disciples and he said to them, you know, the harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. He says, he, the harvest is truly plentiful. I think I have this uh, slide, uh, Tim. But the laborers are few. And he was talking in a metaphor. He was saying that there's so much work to be done in the world. There's so much work to be done in the church and in our community. There's so much to do. If we're going to be God's hands and feet in the world, um, we need more people. And I really take comfort in this. Think about this. Jesus, God in the flesh, like the original the, Jesus was like, hey, I could really use some more volunteers. Like, it's more complicated than that, but he was still like, hey, the, there's so much work, I could use some more people. Like, the work is plentiful, but the workers, and you, but, but Jesus, who's like, hey, I could use some more people, like, there's so much more to be done to make this world a better place. You know what his, Jesus' action step was? It's interesting enough, Jesus didn't say, you know, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. So give a sermon and create a handout. And he doesn't say, like, you know, have people do a spirit. None of these things are bad, but what Jesus actually says is, therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Pray. It's interesting. He doesn't say recruit or twist someone's arm into serving, although I'm not opposed to those things. He says, at least here, he says, pray. Ask God that God would call the right person to join our mission. So here's the main action step here. Whether you're serving already or not, whether you consider this church, your church home or not, here's, here's what I'm just asking you to do. I'm not asking you to do anything else today. Just take this and Pray. In fact, I encourage you to do a little faith experiment. And this is great whether you are consider this your church home or just visiting or going to be moving on or you're moving away or you're online or whatever because you'll get to see the results regardless of whether you stick around. But a little faith experiment. Pray. Take a half sheet and if it's on a daily basis or a weekly basis or even a monthly basis, I'll take any sort of consistency. So this is between you and God. Look at this list and offer up a prayer to God. Say, hey, God, would you provide the people to fill these spots? And, and the reality is, is it's probably going to mean that God's going to help us connect with new people who are not here yet. Once we have, you know, kind of put ourselves back out there and reintroduce ourselves, that God's going to invite new people. And that's what I want you, for the next two months, as we lead up to the grand opening, I'm going to invite you to pray. And, and, and as a faith experiment, I want to put ourselves out there and see if God does anything. You know, just try it. Here's what I'm guessing, and just as somebody who's done this a while. There are times in our life where we ask God to do stuff, and we get so mad that God doesn't do it. And we don't always understand why God doesn't do it. And it's complicated, and sometimes it creates great hurt and confusion in our life. But I have found there are other things that we ask God to do that God loves to do. I did a house blessing for a family in our church uh, two weeks ago, and they were, they, we were talking about what they wanted their prayer to be for their house, and they said they wanted this to be a place 
that everyone felt welcome and that people would come over and visit. And I was like, you know, that is a prayer that God likes to answer. <laughs> so don't ask it if you don't mean it. Like, people are going to start coming over to your house. There are certain prayers that I find that just by putting it out there and having the intention, things start moving. And whether it's God's miraculous work or just our disposition to it and setting the intention or some divine mixture of both, I don't know. But I want you, I think this is one of those places where God's like, hey, try it out. So I encourage you, this little prayer experiment, pray about what your role might be, pray that God would help us connect with new people who will bring new gifts and passions, and that we will be a church that helps new people have ownership over the mission and vision here. You know, by praying for it, we've set our intentions, and we've said, hey, we actually want to help new people get connected, which breaks down that sort of club mentality that often happens when uh, we're smaller and we know each other very, very well. And so that more people can be, in, be involved, not because they've, you know, we need them necessarily or because we, but because I think God has called us to be something in this world. And I believe that God is inviting and working on people already to be a part of it. So I encourage you, if you're looking for a spiritual practice or not, to take one of these and offer it up as a prayer. And then... Let's see what God does. I'm very curious. I, 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 I think you'll be surprised as well as me the way in which God moves when God's people come together and pray. So in that spirit, let us pray. God, we come before you and we give you thanks. We know that you are able to work in mysterious ways. We also know that you are alive and well and that you are already in our midst working and moving and shaping and shifting and that you've given us all roles to play in your church, not just this church, but in the church and in the world and in our neighborhoods and our communities and in nonprofits. You've given us roles to play and you've called us to those. Strengthen us. Help us not to grow weary in doing good, for we know that we will reap a harvest. And help us to be a space that is prepared to receive new people that we might find ways to invite them to be a part of the mission and vision. God, you know our needs. As we step out in faith and reintroduce ourselves to the world and be a safe space for people to grow in their faith, you know what we need and you know the people who are going to help us get there. So we ask that you would send workers into the field, both here and in the world. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.